this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly non-fiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or try to. We'll cover current event reads, recommendations based on popular fiction, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice, and fellow book rioter, Kim. So, Kim, how are you doing? I am doing pretty good. I got off work a little early today. I got to have a frappuccino from Starbucks, and so I'm... Oh, a little nice. sugar hide, but but chill, I think. Yeah, good day. How uh, about you? Well, good, but immediately need to know what, what flavor of Frappuccino? Vanilla bean. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Now I want that. Except I couldn't remember the word Frappuccino when I walked into Starbucks and they didn't have it on the menu. So I was like, I want that vanilla shake thing without coffee. <laughs> uh, and I felt like a moron. So that was real <laughs> Awesome. Um, that is great. I, uh, well, I had a, I had a day I'm, I'm in Chicago, as you know, and, Mm -hmm. uh, our, all our buses seem to be just like jerks today. Like all of them were just running super behind or not showing up. And then, and the weather was really nice. So I don't know what was up, but then as I got off my second to last bus for the day, I was crossing a very busy Chicago street and like slow motion fell and like landed oh. in front, like with my backpack on. So I looked super cool. Aww. And like landed in front of a bunch of cars. And then I kind of like hobbled to my second bus. <laughs> like Aww. got back and put a pack of frozen broccoli on it. So it's going to be fine. But uh, it's I have like three knees right now because there's like a big bump. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> I mean, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, so we're both in an excellent place right now as we record this uh, first episode of our podcast. I am um, to talk about nonfiction books and not my knee yay. anymore. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> okay. Yes. So uh, before we get started, we're going to, I guess right now, talk about our first sponsor for the show, which I'm really excited about. Uh, first sponsor is a book called She Caused a Riot by Hannah Jewell. Uh, and this is an empowering, no-holes-barred ba- no look into the epic adventures and dangerous exploits of 100 inspiring women who are too brave, too brilliant, too unconventional, too political, too poor, or not ladylike enough to be recognized by their contemporaries. And so the book goes from the th- third century in Syria to uh, Norwegian's a Nigerian women's rights activist in the 20th century and a bunch of women who just were badasses. Uh, and my favorite thing actually about this book is the subtitle, which is a uh, hundred unknown women who built cities, sparked revolutions and massively crushed it. Um, and I think this is just really excellent. Uh, Hannah Jewell, the author is a host for the video team at the Washington post. Uh, and she used to write for the for BuzzFeed UK, um, where she was known for her humor writing about gender and her satire of UK and US politics. Um, and one of the talking points about this book that I think is actually really cool is that um, the women in this book are super diverse. They cover just a huge range of area and they're from different countries, cultures, and time periods, um, And but really will reflect kind of the badass that all of us wish to be. So that is an exciting first sponsor, I think, for our show. Yeah. 
That sounds awesome. I want to know which woman built a city. Yes, I do too. And I do not know the answer to that question. So obviously we will both have to read this book Mm -hmm. um, because I think it sounds great. So uh, moving on from our first sponsor, we're going to go into our first section, which is uh, some new books that we are excited about that are either coming out soon or uh, recently came out that we think are kind of going to be exciting. Um, So I was going to go first, if that's okay. 100%. Go for it. Excellent. Uh, So the first book I wanted to highlight is one that I feel like probably people have heard of already, although I'm not sure. I feel like it's been getting a ton of buzz. Uh, It's called Educated by Tara Westover. And this is a memoir about a woman who was born into a Mormon fundamentalist survivalist family in Idaho. Um, And as she was growing up, she did not get to go to school until she was like 17 years old. Um, She didn't go to doctors or anything like that. They were very isolated. Um, But after her older brother went to college, Tara decided that she wanted to go to college herself. And so she taught herself enough math and science and everything to pass the ACT uh, and then went to Brigham Young University. Um, But she did not stop there. After that, she went on to Harvard and on to Cambridge, where she earned a PhD. And now she lives in London and is doing super badass stuff there. Um, And so the book is a memoir, and it's about um, the reason I was really excited about it is because I, <laughs> I super like weird cult books, um, like nonfiction about weird secret societies and stuff. And so this isn't exactly that, but it's a book about like growing up on the fringe and about um, kind of finding yourself and becoming independent from the family that you were born into. Um, and I saw a review that compared it to The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls, um, which I just read like a few months ago, super late to the party on that one for sure. Um <laughs> And I really loved it. And so I was excited that this one got some of those kind of read-alikes for that. So, um, so yeah, I just think this one sounds really fascinating. Yeah, I got a, and, I got uh, a couple comments, questions. Oh, sorry. Fin- do you have a last point yeah, on that? No, Go no, for it. Great. So, number one, um, uh, the, I also am just – I'm reading The Glass Castle right now. So I feel like why so good. is it because the movie's coming out? Maybe so it's like in the or is it out? I don't even know. Maybe the movie it came, came out. out. Yeah, it came out a bit okay. ago. A couple so, months. I'm not on the Glass Castle ball, clearly. Um, but <laughs> uh also, yeah, survivalist slash Mormon fundamentalists in Idaho. Yes. I didn't know that that was like a thing. I did not know that was a thing either, but I imagine you can find survivalists just about anywhere. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I knew I knew they were in Idaho, but I didn't know they were like Mormon fundamentalist survivalists. So that's fascinating. Like, I did not know right. about this book coming out, but that sounds really good. That's a lot of fringes altogether that I think would be fascinating to, like, just find out about. Gosh, yeah. I wonder if they all, like, hang out or if they all just kind of keep to themselves in Idaho. No, they're pretty isolated. I bet they don't hang out. I, I would not think so. Um, they're probably not going to let you invite you to come over and have tea or something. <laughs> More's the pity. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my first book for, uh, for new, new coming outers, if you will, uh, is uh, Broadband. The Untold Story of the Women Who Made the Internet by Claire L. Evans. Um, And that's out March 6th. So uh, the history of technology, you probably know, is one of men and machines, garages and riches, alpha nerds and programmers, uh, which is from the description. I did not know programmer was a thing, but it totally makes sense. Yeah, that's Um, good. But uh, this goes from Ada Lovelace, uh, who wrote the first computer program in the Victorian age and was uh, Lord Byron's daughter, which I, I feel like my, my one of my really? major 
Yeah. One of my main areas of study in college was Victorian lit. So I feel like everyone knows that. But then I'm like, maybe not. No, I did yeah. not. That's uh, crazy. Yeah. Lord Byron, uh, real quick segue, uh, or sidebar, Lord Byron, um, a romantic poet, right? Uh, mm-hmm. mad, mad, bad, dangerous to know. I think it was his little, little mm-hmm. description. He was, uh, he married this woman, uh, and you know, they had a child and he basically abandoned her and she was super furious at him for like the rest of her life. So she told Ada Lovelace, her daughter, that she could, you know, she kept her away from all things poetry and like all this stuff. And so she was like, you will be, you know, like this rational scientific person, which I guess to a point worked um, because she was, she wrote the first computer program um, with Charles Babbage. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So this book talks about her. Right. And so this is an example, right? That people don't know this stuff. Um, I know. And it goes from her in like the mid 1800s to the cyberpunk web designers of the 90s. So basically saying, you know, that women since the beginning have always been involved in technology um, yeah. and that we just we their story hasn't been told. And um, a quote that I read recently uh, by a historian, Nancy Cott, was developments in women's history prove the maxim that what one finds in the past depends on what one looks for. Mm-hmm. So, right, because yeah. you go in and you have these preconceived notions like, oh, it's going to be like men did all this great stuff. And then you don't, you don't even <laughs> like see these women who are right there next yeah. to them. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading more of it. I, th- I read like the first couple chapters and I really mm-hmm. liked it. it. It starts with Ada Lovelace. Um, so, and, so uh, question. Yes. Can I interrupt you and ask a question? Absolutely. Go ahead. What does the Victorian era computer look like? Like, what is it? Gosh, I think that I, <laughs> the reason that I'm stymied for a moment is that I read uh, a, like a graphic novel comic version um, about Ada Lovelace and, and Babbage, where, where they actually built, the Babbage built this, he had this idea for this like first computer basically. And it's this mm-hmm. huge machine with like cogs and gears, but he never actually built it. So now like fiction is <laughs> melding oh, in my head with reality. It. So I'm like, I, uh. but um, I know that well, in the well, 50s, I just have to read the books. You should. In the fifties, it was punch cards, uh, mm-hmm. but that's that's all I that's all I know. Hmm. I know. I mainly just know what she looks like, and was very impressed <laughs> that she <laughs> did computer stuff. I'm more on the side of of Lord Byron, not not uh, you know in terms of his personal habits, but dangerous uh, to know his personal interests uh, overall. Wait, no, not personal. <laughs> no, ignore everything I just said. It's fine. Okay, moving on. Uh, what is your next book? <laughs> Well, so actually, I just wanted to say, I think this is really cool. There's this really cool trend in nonfiction right now, which is um, books about women that are behind the scenes of stuff that we thought we already knew about. So like, um, oh my God, I'm just like Hidden Figures is a great example of that book. There's another one called Rocket Girls. That's, uh, those are both about women behind the space program. Um, Davis Sobel just wrote one about the women behind uh, one of the major astronomy labs at a college. I'm completely blanking on the name of it now, but um, I just think that trend of like the secret stories of women that we don't get to hear about is so cool. So this is another good one in like that whole trend, I guess, of women did cool stuff before we knew they did cool stuff. Oh, for sure. And um, this isn't quite in the same vein, but Radium Girls is about to come out in mm-hmm. um, paperback yeah. from uh, yeah. Chicago, Chicago Land Press. Just putting that out there. Um, 
Chicago Pride. Uh, and it's all, and obviously it's, it's Women's History Month, right? So uh, it's, I really wanted to kind of see if I could highlight um, some good women's history titles. But yeah, so what is, what is your, uh, your second pick? Yes. Yeah, so my second one is um, not quite as women's history, uh, but it's a contemporary kind of journalism piece of writing. Um, and it's called Fisherman's Blues by Anna Bodkin. Um, and this is a book about a group of fishermen in a West African village in Senegal. Um, and the the way that climate change and overfishing are affecting their livelihood and their community. Um, so artisanal fishing or fishing, like small fishing, is the main source of income and resources for this community in Senegal. And um, species are disappearing. And as the the time it takes them to get to good fishing habitats increases because there's just fewer and fewer of them, the risk to the fishermen and their families really goes up. And so this is a, a kind of embedded reporter type of story about this community and kind of what is happening there. Um, and it kind of fits right in with what one of the, the kind of genres that I like, which is um, kind of a specific community or specific person's story that is used to illustrate a bigger kind of phenomenon or issue. And so this one's connection to climate change and um, industrial fishing, I think is going to be super interesting. So um, it's a little bit different angle, I guess, than what we've been talking about so far, but one that I think sounds Sounds like I'd learn a lot from it. No, that's awesome. And I, one of the things, you know, I love the most about nonfiction is as, as a genre, how varied it can be. I think people can tend to dismiss the entire, like, well, the entirety of nonfiction, right? Um, just mm-hmm. as like, well, it's, I like stories. And it's like, well, that's, that's what history is. And that's what <laughs> life, you know, life is stories. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, this is a perfect example, right? So you have this, this tiny place in Senegal that is, you know, the, all these people have stories to tell about it, how it's, oh, it's actually affecting them. And also you said artisanal mm-hmm. fishing. What, um, yeah. Do you know what that is specifically? Cause that's fascinating. It is. Like, and I wish t- I had written down. I'm pulling the book. I have the book sitting on top of my desk right now. Cause I was like, Alice might ask me questions about this. <laughs> um, Perhaps. No, I, wonder, I don't know exactly what artisanal fishing means. I think it just means like, you know, industrial fishing, you use like giant nets and you get tons and tons and tons of fish. And I think this must just be smaller scale is maybe what artisanal fishing means. But I guess I'll have to read the book and report back because I, like, uh, I do not know. I just feel like it was named by some dude in Brooklyn who's like, it's true, you know, it's, uh, this is artisanal fishing. <laughs> That could be. I wish I knew where I grabbed that phrase from. I wonder if it was in the Amazon description. I don't know. Oh, gosh. I don't know. Well, fantastic. Um, yeah. Totally sort of changing the subject. Uh, uh, my last pick yeah. is um, – <laughs> so I got this in the mail and uh, flipped through it, and I was just kind of delighted by it. Uh, it's, it's called The Wonder Down Under, The Insider's <laughs> Guide to the Anatomy, Biology, and Reality of the vagina um, by Ellen. And I'm going to maybe butcher this Stuckendahl and Nina Brockman. Um, so they're Scandinavian. This is translated, but it is funny and oh. delightful. Um, they were, and then like the, I don't know, the actual uh, book, like the, you know, there's the sort of neon slip cover. And then the book itself is like neon pink. And then it's got pink end papers. It's very <laughs> like committed to its subject. And, uh, it talks about, yeah, well, you gotta right, be 100%. Uh, it talks about the hymen and its myths, which, um, I read another book called, um, Virgin by, uh, Hannah Blank, where she talked about, um, that's where I first heard this whole thing about, you know, what, I didn't know what the hymen was. I thought it was like, you know, those like 
um, circles like of paper at the circus that lions jump through. Yeah. Right. Well, because, uh, you know, like historically, like that was how you decided if women were PR and virtuous or not. Right. And so I so, thought that yeah. that's mm-hmm. what it was. And it turns out, no. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, this book kind of also talks about that in a uh, Hannah Blank's book is a little more academic. This is um, very, very readable. Um, there are drawings, but they're like fun drawings. Uh, it talks about uh, what the U.S. has to learn from Scandinavian sex ed. Um, talks about uh, a thing called uh, Disco Mouse. Which is a Scandinavian term, and I'm not going to tell you what it means, but uh, it's, yeah, Disco Mouse. It, it is in, it's very, very closely related to the subject matter. Um, and <laughs> if I Googled that at work, am I going to like get a pop up filter that's going to get mad at okay. me? I think. Um, <laughs> when I read it, I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So it's it's a very readable book. Um, and it gives you just a lot of really practical knowledge about something that we tend in our culture to be squeamish about um, because uh, our culture has some problems sometimes, just occasionally. <laughs> yes, that is. That is accurate. I would be very interested about the, this is going to sound so strange, but the Scandinavian sex ed part because like U.S. sex ed education is just like so bananas and like how unhelpful it is. And so I would be super curious to just see if other countries are less squeamish than we are and able to like give kids information that's useful and helpful to them instead of pretending that like if we don't tell you anything then nothing bad will happen. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Uh, I had a I went to a Christian high school that was like pretty conservative and we did not have sex ed, but we did learn how to give CPR to babies. So we knew what to do in the aftermath of that situation. Um, but but yeah, no, yeah, none of that. Uh, is, is your next book huh. by any chance related at all to, <laughs> to my uh, subject of mine? Uh, I don't think so. Um, but it does continue on our theme of kick-ass ladies. So kind of. um, the last one I was going to mention is one called A Bygone Badass Broads by Mackenzie Lee. Uh, and it is a book based on a Twitter series that the author does um, called Hashtag Bygone Badass Broads. And she collects stories of um, historical women that, that have done cool things. Um, and so similar to our sponsor book, it starts early in history and continues to the present and looks at bold and inspired women pulled in inspiring women who dared step outside traditional gender roles. Um, and there's lots of illustrations and it's got a very cartoony and cool looking cover. Um, and the, the part maybe that in my notes that you'd maybe dinged as being related. Um, Lee is also the guide to a YA romance called The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. Uh, it's actually, I guess, maybe more romance-ish. Um, but it's a book about where a bisexual British lord embarks on an unforgettable grand tour of Europe with his best friend slash secret crush. So I think... Just like, I just thought that was funny because, you know, someone who writes YA is writing this nonfiction book about badass women and I think probably brings a lot of fun and engagement to that book. Um, I haven't gotten to see a copy of it, but it everything I looked up online just looks really delightful and, and fun. Plus, you can get a preview by... I keep eyeing it. Um, plus, oh, sorry, go on. Plus, you can get a preview by going to the hashtag. So that's fun. Oh, that is, yeah, that's pretty good. So hashtag bygone badass broads. Yes, and we can link to that in the show notes too, so people can find it for sure. Um, no, I, I keep eyeing that book at the bookstore because uh, it's got a, a really fun cover, and the title reminds me, you know, because it's uh, gentleman. Oh, again, this sorry, this is I keep eyeing Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue because it reminds me of the musical Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, 
which I love so much. Mm. It's so fun. And I just so whenever I see that one, I'm like, oh, maybe that's also real fun. And your description sounds great. So but as does Bygone Badass Prods, the the current book we are actually talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Nonfiction, which is what we're supposed to be talking about. Yeah, exactly. All right. So now that we've done some new books that we're excited about, um, we're going to jump into um, a weekly theme and try to give you some books that are new and old, all kind of connected to one big subject. And I thought maybe, Alice, you could introduce and talk a little bit about it since this was your idea and I thought it was an awesome one. Yeah. Um, so uh, this week our theme is International Women's Day uh, because that is on March 8th. Um, which is, I believe, in two days. So International Women's Day. Yes, if this goes up on the 6th. International Mm -hmm. Women's Day is a global day celebrating the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. Um, The day also marks a call to action for accelerating gender parity. So on that day, like on March 8th, you can do hashtag International Women's Day, hashtag IWD, um, or even just like, click through because there's a lot of good stuff being posted that day every year. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, International Women's Day has occurred for well over a century uh, with the first uh, March 8th gathering supported by over a million people in Austria, Denmark, Germany, and Switzerland. Um, Prior to this, the Socialist Party of America, United Kingdom suffragists and suffragettes, and uh, further groups campaigned for women's equality. Today, uh, International Women's Day belongs to all groups collectively everywhere. So, uh, yeah, just whatever whatever you want to talk about that day having to do with <laughs> awesome ladies, um, I highly encourage you to do that. So That's our true. books are themed on uh, international women. And uh, going along with that, so uh, mm-hmm. I have two, but my first is In Order to Live, A North Korean Girl's Journey to Freedom by Yunmi Park, which came out in 2015. Um In In Order to Live, Park shines a light not just into the darkest corners of life in North Korea, uh, describing the deprivation and deception she endured and which millions of North Korean people continue to endure to this day. I am quoting from Amazon, by the way, so this is not uh, my personal knowledge about this, Uh, but also onto her uh, her (laughs) own most painful and difficult memories. She tells with bravery and dignity uh, from the first time the story of how she and her mother were betrayed and sold in to sexual slavery in China uh, and forced to suffer a terrible psychological and physical hardship before they finally made their way to South Korea and freedom. So um, it sounds a little hard. The one of the reasons I picked this is I feel like we don't get a lot of information about North Korea outside of, uh, you know, like Kim Jong-un um, doing his things that he does. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm I really wanted to promote this as kind of, you know, obviously not just uh, someone who is living there and who had to deal with extreme hardship there, but who is, um, well, but is also a woman's voice, which I feel like we hear even less um, from that area. Mm -hmm. So again, that's uh, In Order to Live by Yunmi Park. Um, And I think that should be available most everywhere. It's uh, it was it was pretty popular in 2015 when it came out. Yeah. Yeah, so that made me think of another book that I read a while back about the kind of a similar topic in North Korea um, that was super good. It's a memoir by a woman named Suki Kim. She's an American journalist, I believe. Um, and she got a job teaching at a um, 
academy for the sons of North Korea's elite ruling class. So they go to this high school college academy thing and she got a job teaching there. Um, And she writes this whole memoir about what it is like to try and educate these men who, young men who like just have no real concept of what the world is like because they live in such a closed down and sheltered society um, and kind of how difficult it was for her being there and some of those experiences. And um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. This stuff we don't know about what happens there and, and just, and it's just how bad it is for people and how much they, they don't actually know about the world outside of their borders and how little access they have. Um, So yeah, I think that's definitely a good book to recommend as part of this kind of discussion for sure. Um, so the first book that I wanted to mention is I think another one that a lot of people probably have heard about, but that's okay. Uh, it's I am Malala by Malala Yousafzai and Christina Lamb. Um, and so Malala is the youngest winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, which she was awarded, um, after she, uh, when she was 16, I think, that might not be true, but anyway, uh, she is the youngest winner of the prize, and she was awarded it because when she was fifteen year old, she fifteen years old, she was shot in the head by the Taliban um, on her bus ride home from school, uh, and she, in particular, was targeted because she was an advocate, um, and she, along with her dad, um, advocated for education for young people, particularly young girls, uh, where she lived. Um, and so, this memoir came out um, after she was shot and was written. Uh, in conjunction with Christina Lamb, who's a journalist. Um, and so it's in Malala's voice, but Christina Lamb was pretty heavily involved in the writing of it, which I think is is interesting too. But um, I read this a few years ago after it came out always, but, um, and I, it's just really a delightful book. She's, Malala is, is, she's funny and she's poised and she is smart, but she's also a, a girl and you get a lot of that, that sense from her of just kind of unlimited potential. Um, and it kind of, in some ways, reminds me of the the Parkland kid, high school kids right now, where they just don't see the world as being something you can't change and can't fix. Uh, and I kind of appreciate that. Oh my gosh, God bless those Parkland kids. I, I cannot. Oh, my, okay. Right. Like that, that sense of, I don't want to say optimism because that's not really exactly it, but just the sense that like the world is something that you can change um, and like that they lack that cynicism. And I think this memoir really has that kind of sense of hope and, and hopefulness despite a really traumatic and awful experience happening. So uh, I recommend that one very highly. It's, it's a good one. I was going to ask, um, so I have not read it yet. Is it is it mainly a focus on like her life and activism or like what is... What is it mainly about? It's mostly about her life. So it, it starts when she was young and it talks about her family. Um, there's a lot of, in it about her family, um, her the work that her parents did. Uh, her dad was, I think, a teacher. Um, and so he was very active in trying to keep a school going and making sure that kids um, were educated. And so it's about her, but a lot of it is about the people around her as well and kind of their their life under the Taliban and, and what it is like for people in an oppressive society like that. So um, not just about her in a, in a good way. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, my, uh, my other pick is, is also a winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, Ooh. but um, I think she, uh, she won two years before Malala. Um, so this book is Mighty Be Our Powers, How Sisterhood, Prayer and Sex Changed a Nation at War by Lima Bowie. Um, which I watched like four videos to figure out how to pronounce it correctly. Um, B 
because uh, oh, so it is spelled L-E-Y-M-A-H and then G-B-O-W-E-E. So I hope that Lima Bowie is correct. Um, that is how Stephen Colbert said it. Um, so it's his fault if we're wrong. Yes. Yes. Always blame Stephen Colbert. <laughs> um, but so in Mighty Be Our Powers, uh, Lima Bowie, so she helped bring an end to the Second Liberian War, Civil War in 2003, which was um, just uh, like a cat. I mean, all wars are terrible. This was just like a catastrophic event. It was tearing apart the country. Thousands and thousands of people were dying. Um, she was uh, a young mother who was uh, being domestically abused. And she basically took that situation and looked around her and realized that she and the women that she was sort of who were in her, you know, like orbit um, could create something that could cause change. Mm -hmm. So um, in 2003, she helped organize and then led the Liberian Mass Action for Peace, um, which was a coalition of Christian and Muslim women who sat in public protest, uh, confronted Liberia's uh, president and rebel warlords, and then uh, held a sex strike, um, which is the point that most people get like kind of were like, oh, so there was a sector because, you know, they talk about like Lysistrata Mm -hmm. and like the whole thing about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it it worked. It worked. Um, So that's I mean, there's a reason that she won the Nobel Peace Prize. So she. It's awesome. And she was like this, this like essentially like eventually she now she's a single mother and like she's speaking around the world and talking about, you know, like how you can organize and create mass change, you know, like from like a small like grassroots movement. And it's mm-hmm. so cool. Um, again, that's uh, Mighty Be Our Powers by Lima Bowie. Um, it came out in 2013. Have you read that one or was that just when you looked or found while researching some ideas for this? That was on, um, so I made a list for Book Riot, uh, I think last year, called um, 100, it's like 100 must-read books about women's history, um, uh, okay. or 100 books to read about women's history, and that, uh, I have it split up by um, sort of area of the world, and so that's that's in the Africa section, and so I have read, I think, the first couple chapters again, mm-hmm. um, and it's just, uh, I mean, she's writing it with a co-author, um, yeah. but she's she's just like she's hmm. it's just it's an amazing story you know what I mean so like um that's on my it's in my my book pile to uh to get through in the next like probably month yeah cool that one sounds really good um the last one I wanted to mention is also one that is set in Africa um and it is called a moonless starless sky ordinary women and men fighting extremism in Africa by Alexis Okeo Oh, I think I said that wrong. Ugh, crap. Anyway, uh, so this is a, a work of literary journalism. So she's a reporter, again, um, exploring how ordinary Africans are resisting the waves of fundamentalism currently sweeping across uh, the continent. Um, and it's told in four stories. So the book is it's split into two sections, and each section has four chapters, one about each of these um, groups. So you get kind of an early part of their story, and then you get a, a later part of their story, kind of a follow up almost where they're at now. Um, One of them is a young couple who are kidnapped victims of the LRA. Um, One is a young woman who's uh, 
fighting a campaign against modern day slavery. Um, another is a woman who is part of a women's basketball team that's flourishing in Somalia, which was my favorite chapter of the whole book. Um, and then one's about a, a vigilante who takes up arms against an against Boko Haram in his community. Um, and it just, there are these really fascinating stories, similar to what you were talking about of ordinary people who decide that like, they're just not going to take this shit anymore and try to stand up and do something about fundamentalism and extremism as it's coming into their countries. And I just, I really, I really liked it. It was, and the, it made me want to read more about each of these different countries. Um, she focuses on, I gotta open it up, uh, Uganda, Mauritania, Nigeria, and Somalia. And I got done and I just wanted to read whole books about those countries and what was happening there and why it was happening, um, which I think is a really good endorsement of this book that it, it piqued my curiosity so much about so much I didn't know. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that sounds really, really good. Um, do you, can I ask what it, the LRA is? Oh man, you can ask, but I don't know if I can tell you the answer. What, what essentially is it? Uh, so you said, um, they're kidnap victim. It's like, it's like Boko Haram. Okay. They're a group that goes and kidnaps people and then extorts them or brings them into sex slavery or makes them become, um, fighters for them. It's, I mean, it's the same kind of, um, same kind of group. Sure. I mean, that fundamentally, that sounds really, really good though. Uh, and I especially want to read about the women's basketball team. Go ahead. Sorry. LRA stands for Lord's resistance army. And it's a guerrilla group that formerly operated in Uganda. Um, and so they, um, they mass executed a lot of people too, if I recall correctly. Um, as part of a religious purifying terrible stuff. So yeah, that's pretty, pretty hardcore. Um, can I assume that the young couple that were kidnapped by them survived? Yes, they did. They great. Okay. Yeah. They, they were kidnapped by them and then they were forced to get married, but then they actually like became friends and lovers and they, they cared for each other and then they escaped uh, with their child and, um, but they were still kind of, like pursued by them and and terrified. And it, part of that story that was really interesting was um, the husband, in order to survive being part of the LRA, he had to do a bunch of really terrible things. And so then when they escaped, he had a hard time and the community they escaped to had a hard time accepting him as part of them because he had been a part of this fundamentalist army. Um, and so there's a lot of complexity about people and what they're forced to do in terrible situations and what we can accept and not accept from them. Um, and there's not answers for any of that, but it kind of explores that a little bit in that story, I think. Um, that uh, I'm not pr- probably going to get a better segue to our second sponsor, which is ah, yeah, yeah. the book uh, Everything is Horrible and Wonderful by Stephanie Whittleswax. Um, so one phone call was all it took to change Stephanie Whittles Wax's life forever. Her brother Harris, a star in the comedy world known for his work on shows like Parks and Recreation, had died of a heroin overdose. Uh, in beautiful, unsentimental, and surprisingly funny prose, Stephanie Whittles Wax alternates between her brother's struggle with addiction and the first year after his death in all its emotional devastation. This compelling portrait of a comedic genius and a profound exploration of the love between siblings is a year of magical thinking for a new generation of readers. Uh, it will make you laugh, cry, and wonder if that possum on the fence is really your brother's spirit animal. Um, <laughs> so, uh, quick 
personal note, I, I remember, so Harris Whittleswax, when it said he was on Parks and Rec, you might know him as, um, he was one of the two animal control guys. Um, yeah, you're so funny. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're super funny. And I remember reading, um, about his passing and, um, like, true like huge comedians who uh i respect very greatly were all saying you know like he was the funniest person i knew like he was this actual comedic genius um so i'm really glad Mm -hmm. this book came out because um i'm i'm really interested in reading his sister's take on it and uh yeah and it's you know grief memoirs are really hard and this uh Uh so it's based on her essay the new normal which was originally published on medium and has been viewed more than two hundred fifty thousand times so um you know it's it's based on this thing that that just really resonated with people um her brother uh harris whittles yeah so he was loved by people like sarah silverman um who called the book epically poignant and uh with in terms of the actual subject matter of uh, his passing, so heroin, heroin abuse is on mm-hmm. the rise. Um, the opioid crisis is reaching critical mass in the U.S., right? We're, we're talking about it more and more because we have such a problem with this. So Whittles Wax's story about her brother's overdose and death prompts an important conversation about the impact of addictions, right? So you instead of just saying we have an opioid crisis, uh-huh. it's saying here is a specific person's problem with it, and this is how it affected the people around them, and th- hopefully, you know, this will spur more people to act on that and to uh, do more research on on the issue. Um, yeah. It's uh, the book is receiving a lot of buzz. Whittles wax. Uh, so she was on Late Night with Seth, Seth Meyers on February 26th, and uh, she's on NPR's March 3rd Weekend Edition. Um, so those should both be available online. Um, and it's an Amazon Best Book of the Month, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, all of <laughs> all of these things combined, uh, it, it sounds like a really, uh, I'm going to say, important read because I, I feel like great read feels weird under the circumstances. Um, but yeah, again, that's Everything is Horrible and Wonderful by Stephanie Whittleswax, and we thank them for being our sponsor. Yes, absolutely. All right. So then we're going to shift into, uh, I think, um, our second to the last little section where we're going to talk about more books from a different angle. Uh, and this one we're calling Fiction Nonfiction. So we're going to take a popular fiction title that is out or that people are talking about or that's in the culture somewhere, uh, talk a little bit about that, and then talk about a nonfiction book that you could read that would illuminate or expand your understanding of that piece of fiction. So do you want to go first or I can go first? Doesn't matter. Uh, I just talked a bunch, so I would like you to go. Okay. Sure. Um, so the book that I am trying to get from the library because I'm super excited about it is called White Houses by Amy Bloom. Uh, and it is a new book. It's just out within the last month, I think. Um, and it's a fictional account of the relationship between First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt and journalist Lorena Hickok. Um, and Eleanor and Lorena met in 1932 while um, Hickok was covering FDR's first presidential campaign. Uh, and then they became friends. And then eventually they became lovers. And they had this very not secret romantic relationship uh, while Eleanor was living in the White House. Um, and so they they just had their, this really deep uh, friendship and and romantic relationship. Uh, and apparently the affair was like secret but not secret at all in the same way that like FDR's affairs were secret but not secret. So I don't know. I just, I never... I don't know why I didn't know this about Eleanor Roosevelt and like the Roosevelt marriage and presidency, but I like saw that book and I was like, what? Really? Like that's the thing that was happening? Like I 
deeply want to know more about that. Um, so I did a little digging and I found um, a book called Eleanor and Hick by Susan Quinn. And the subtitle is The Love Affair That Shaped a First Lady. Um, and so it is a book about their 30-year relationship and it goes into kind of all of the different um, ways in which they were connected to each other as lovers, as confidants, as advisors, and as friends. Um, and so I really do still want to read White Houses, but I'm super excited about this biography too, because I just, I think that's just a story I didn't know. And I would really like to know more about how, how that went that down. That biography was getting so much buzz for a while. Eleanor and Hick. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm very interested in uh, queer women relationships. Obviously, I, I am one. Yeah. Um, but so I, I tend to my uh, I tend to be a little more attuned to when those come out. But um, sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, can I say again, as a side note, uh, Ken Burns's whole thing on the Roosevelt's, I kept waiting for him to be like, and Eleanor Roosevelt was, of course, having this affair with this woman. He never talks about it. No, I don't. I would not have thought that Ken Burns would be like, also the secret lesbian affair at the White House. Like, no, that's not going to make it into Ken Burns documentary. I, I Sorry, didn't Alice. know that about him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, that's nothing on Ken Burns. Like, I have no idea about that. I just, that doesn't seem like a thing that's going to come up in like the, the Ken Burns effect, like slow black and white scrolling oh, sure. photos, okay. you know, like I, I just, just this, this, just the style of it. I just, I just don't feel like Ken Burns is going to be like, and eh, secret expose on this not secret relationship. I don't know. No offense, Ken Burns. Honestly, I have no idea what his thoughts on that are. <laughs> sure. No, I mean, I, I, I love some Ken Burns. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. So White Houses by Amy Bloom is the fiction? Yep. White Houses by Amy Bloom. I think it's just out within the last few weeks. And then Eleanor and Hick, The Love Affair, The Shape of First Lady by Susan Quinn is my fiction, nonfiction pair for okay. this week. Um, so my fiction is uh, the Black Panther comics slash movie, which is super good. You should. So good. I was going to say you should see it if you haven't, but if you have, then that's. Oh no, I definitely did. I was gonna make sure that movie got my money opening weekend. <laughs> um, I went second weekend. I was busy the first, but anyway, okay, it's fine. Um, so the comics are by Tanahasi Coates and Roxanne Gay. She did World of Wakanda. Um, there's also a novel called Who Is the Black Panther by Jesse Holland that came out last fall. Um, there's a novel. I didn't know that. It's, I think it's like kind of novelization. Maybe not, but um, it's it looks already like it's a little hard to find. Um, so I'm not sure it did really well. But uh, Black Panther comics plus movie. So um, I have two picks, which I will get through quick. Uh, the first one is Black Against Empire, the history and politics of the Black Panther Party by Joshua Bloom. Um, so if you want to know about the origin of the term Black Panther and the history, um, this is a winner of the American Book Award. Uh, and it's the first comprehensive overview and analysis of the history and politics of the Black Panther Party. Um, it starts with Huey Newton. Um, I think it goes to, well, it talks about why, uh, it goes through their whole history. And then it talks about why allies abandon the party yeah. at its peak of influence. Um, and kind of just uh, gives you a good, a really good overview of that history uh, in America, which I personally would like to know about more, especially I know that the movie itself is about Wakanda. Well, yeah. And like the politics of like the Black Panther Party versus other civil rights era groups and stuff. Like I think the politics of, of how those groups interacted with each other plays into a lot of the conflict that's at the center of Black Panther, which is about how people interact in the world and what are the types of actions you should take. So like this totally makes sense as a like illustration of of some of those key 
movie themes anyway. Yeah. Well, and kind of getting into, you know, because you're always going to have radical groups and then you're going to have people who are saying, no, we should play it more conservatively in order to get, you know, Mm -hmm. it always does seem to be a melding of like the both of those working at the same time to achieve. Yeah. Like that you need both of those. Um, But so this is this is obviously the more radical spectrum. Um, And then a a quick other one I have is Afrofuturism, the world of black sci-fi and fantasy culture by Yatasha L. Womack, um, which came out in 2013. So this is a primer to the music, literature and art of Afrofuturism, um, where she uh, introduces readers to the burgeoning community of artists creating Afrofuturist works, the innovators from the past and the wide range of subjects they explore. So if you're kind of, you know, if you were really into Wakanda as a place, you know, like this super mm-hmm. kick-ass, you know, African city with like amazing technology, um, then you are into Afrofuturism and should check this out. So again, that's Afrofuturism uh, by Yatasha L. Womack. That sounds super good too. Yeah. Like everything about Wakanda was awesome. And I was just, yeah. So just visually so cool uh-huh. to see that and mm-hmm. Go see Black Panther. Black Panther. We also endorse that. (laughs) It's not nonfiction, but whatever. Go see it anyway. All right. And so we will wrap up this first episode of our podcast with just talking a little bit about the books that we are reading or the nonfiction specifically that we are reading right now. So Alice, you are reading a book that I have many questions about. So please tell us about it. I'm so excited. Um, Okay. So I'll be gone in the dark by michelle mcnamara um out february 27th uh so you know you can you can run to your bookstore and uh go get it so the subtitle for this book is one woman's obsessive search for the golden state killer um michelle mcnamara in case you are unaware is the um deceased wife of Patton Oswalt, the comedian. Uh, but she was so much more. Um, so she she passed away in the last, mm-hmm. uh, I think, year and a half, uh, maybe two years. Um, very unexpectedly, she was in her 40s. Uh, but she was truly obsessed with hunting for the answer to who was the Golden State Killer. If you're into true crime, um, you know something probably about Eron's, which was his old Mm. name, which was a terrible name. So this was someone who terrorized the state of California um, in the 1970s, I think, primarily, uh, for more than 10 years. And uh, just uh, committed a lot of sexual assaults and uh, ended up murdering i think it was like 10 people it was it was basically this yeah 10 people he had this like hideous track record and no one knew who he was partially because at first they didn't link the um the sexual assaults with the murders so they didn't know it was the same person Mm, um but even so so michelle mcnamara coined the term golden state killer right being like you people need to like have a recognizable thing instead of E-A-R-O-N-S as the name of someone. So she combs through records. She was like looking at old yearbooks online and like checking old pawn shops, like for like cufflinks that's in the first chapter. Um, This is a book I have been looking forward to for, uh, I think she talked about writing it like two years ago on Jackie (laughs) Cation's Dork Forest podcast, which by the way, you should look up Michelle McNamara's episodes of the Dork Forest. They're so good. Um, 
And uh, she was talking about writing it and I, I kept looking forward to it. And then, you know, she unfortunately passed and Patton Oswalt was like, I'm going to get her book published. And so this is, it's finally out. And um, again, it's, it's so good. I'm so psyched. Uh, you should read it. Again, it's called I'll Be Gone in the Dark, One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer by Michelle okay, McNamara. So my question, this one has been on my, my shelf yes. for a while and I keep being like, I should pick this up. And I'm going on a vacation soon to Mexico and I'm going to be reading by pools. And I like want to bring this book with me because I feel like it's, is it is it a beach read? Like, could I read this at the beach, or is it too scary? Uh, <laughs> what is your threshold? I guess. Like, would you be? Would you read like a? Well, thriller see, that's what I was thinking like, when I was like, "You can't bring true crime to the beach. That's super morbid." And I was like, "But people bring thrillers to the beach all the time." So, like, and the fiction I have is thrillery ish. So, like, I think it's fine, but I don't know. I, I think. It- Fine. And I think that this is going to be a super popular mm-hmm. book. Um, so I don't if you're if you're worried about getting judged, I don't think that'll oh, happen. No, definitely not. No, it was more like being traveling in a foreign country and having this true crime book. And then all of a sudden being like all these strangers, I might they try and kill me and then getting really paranoid about it. But I feel like it'll probably be fine. I don't think so, because, again, it's it's mainly set in like the 70s uh, slash 80s. And um and it's it, so there's like there basically there's enough distance with it, sure. and it's it's mainly again I think about as of the again first couple chapters yeah um <laughs> this is a current read uh but it's it's mainly her uh quest to find him okay you know and like how, cool. what she's doing and um and it's really readable uh she's a great writer and it's again I I'm so sad and mad at the world that she's gone but um yeah. Uh, but I'm glad her book got published. So excellent. Yeah, I would I would say bring it, bring it to Mexico. It is, it is going in my suitcase. Awesome. All right. So <laughs> the book that I am reading right now is coincidentally pretty well tied into our Women's Day theme. That's called Double Bind by Robin Rom. And it's a book of essays written by women about women and ambition. So um, the book has women from a bunch of different backgrounds and fields. There's a woman who's a butcher. There's people in television. Um, there's a chapter I haven't gotten to that's by someone who's in dog sledding, lawyers, writers, authors, everybody. Um, and they're writing about what ambition means and how women can kind of grapple with the competing expectations that that people have. So how do you be ambitious but humble? How do you, what does ambition even mean? You know, what does it mean to um, to follow your dreams or is it okay to, to take a step back? And what does that say about you? And how does motherhood fit into all of that? Um, and I, I kind of knew from the start that I was going to love this one because of the definition of ambition that the author uses at the beginning. Um, and she uses one that's the desire, ambition is the desire to do good work in the world and have that work recognized by people who understand it. Um, and I just, I love that because it's, it kind of takes away, it takes away like the weird political association I think we have with ambitious women and just says like, no, ambition is wanting to do good and wanting people to see that you've done it. And like, there's nothing wrong with that, but we all have, I mean, maybe I'm not going to speak for everybody, but like conflicted feelings about how we do that and what that is. So um, I think I've read like maybe four essays so far um, and it's, they're really good. They're all different and interesting and, um, and kind of cool. So yeah. That sounds great. Again, what's that called again? It's called Double Bind by Robin Rom. Uh, yeah, that sounds good. It is good. And that's a good title. 
Yeah. (laughs) In terms of just like encapsulating the thing. It is a double bind. It is. Exactly. All right. Well, that is, I believe, everything we have today. Am I I forgetting anything? No, that seems like it. Excellent. So thank you for listening to our first full episode of uh, the For Real podcast. Um, We're going to be coming out every other Tuesday. So you can see us back two weeks from today, March 6th, when we're supposed to be getting this published and up and ready to go. Um, You can also find us both on Book Riot. Uh, You can find me writing Book Riot's True Story newsletter. And uh, Alice and I both write posts for the site and we're out there. So uh, thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll see you back here soon. Yeah.